welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and it's 2023. I actually edited an article today and accidentally set it to 2022. So that's going to, it's going to take a long while for me to get that together, but I'm glad to be back. We had a little break at the end of the year. And during that time, oh my goodness, travel went to hell. (laughs) So to help me talk about the bad news, and I'm sorry to start this year on a sour note. We'll talk about the wonders of Ireland after this first interview, but you got to discuss the big news in travel, which was the meltdown of Southwest Airlines. To help me with that, I have Bill McGee on the line. He works with the American Economic Liberties Project which is an organization that tries to make life a little better for us consumers. And it really sucked this Christmas, didn't it, Bill? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's not hyperbole. I mean, you and I have both been around this industry a while. I think it's fair to say it was the single worst meltdown for one airline in one event. We're talking about, uh, if 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 the math is done conservatively, more than a million people had their flights canceled. That's extraordinary in one week. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, a million people pretty much stranded over the holidays. Uh, We've heard a lot about what caused it. At first, it seemed like Southwest was saying it was uh, weather conditions, but none of the other airlines had to cancel that many, right? So, So let's quickly go through what the heck went wrong. Sure. Well, as you know, I I worked in airline flight operations myself. I'm licensed by the FAA as a dispatcher. So I know about, uh, you know, winter snowstorms and summer hurricanes and all the rest of it. But um, you're right. Um, It it was not the weather that caused, you know, nine and 10 days of all of these problems. Uh, Every other airline was back up and running within 24 to 48 hours. Southwest, more than a week later, is still struggling to get going. Uh, You know, it was the perfect storm for them in more ways than one, uh, because uh, it exposed a lot of the flaws in their internal systems, particularly the fact that Southwest has been extremely reluctant to invest in technology and IT and backroom stuff Mm -hmm. that's of not, you know, a concern to to consumers until it until it bites them in this way. So, you know, I mean, just to illustrate one thing, their unions have been very vocal about this and they've been talking about pilots and flight attendants who in 2022 had to check in by phone. You know, I mean, I worked in, in, <laughs> wow. in airline operations in the 80s and 90s and already by then, even at smaller airlines, we were, you know, all that stuff was being automated. Uh, huh. So Southwest, you know, decided to, to put money into stock uh, dividends and into executive compensation. And they really they were way behind the curve in investing in their own you know, infrastructure internally. And everything fell apart from the call centers to the crew scheduling to aircraft scheduling. It just, it all fell apart. So here's the big question I think a lot of travelers are are thinking about right now. Should they avoid Southwest? Obviously, they're not going to be able to create a new system overnight. And we know that part of the problem also has to do with the way Southwest is organized. It is the the, the only major airline that has as its raison d'etre that it's going to be serving smaller cities 
uh, and not through hubs. So there's been a lot of talk about the fact that America Delta, American Delta United, they all have a hub and spoke system. So if you're flying from, say, Milwaukee to, oh God, help me with this. Where where would you go? Milwaukee to- Portland. Uh, <laughs> Portland. <laughs> You'd probably have to fly through Chicago. You're yeah. not going to be able to get a direct flight. On Southwest, you might. The problem with that is- it makes it harder to staff up when weather events occur because with the hub and spoke system, the other airlines have crews near to the hubs so they can hopefully fix things a little quicker, right? Yeah. Well, there there were a lot of problems that were exposed in Southwest's uh, model. One is, as you say, it's a, it's what they call a point-to-point system rather than a hub-and-spoke system. Um, others would argue that some of Southwest's largest cities like Dallas and Chicago and Baltimore are sort of de facto hubs. But from a consumer huh. perspective, there's a, there's, a, there's a clear difference. If you buy a ticket in Milwaukee to go to Portland on, say, American, and uh, you, know, you are connecting through Chicago O'Hare, the airline is, is, is selling you from point A to point Z, C, right? The B right. is not what's, on, you know, what, what's relevant. In fact, sometimes your hub will change. It doesn't really matter to you. Maybe they'll send you through Dallas instead of Chicago. You don't care as long as you get where you're going. On a sure. point-to-point system, you're buying separate tickets, technically. So that can be very problematic. It can also be problematic for your baggage. We saw that not just, you know, we're, we're not, not only were passengers uh, in the wrong places last week, but a lot of baggage was too. Some of yeah. that is due to the upside of Southwest, which they don't charge for the first two checked bags. So an awful lot of people check bags on Southwest who wouldn't on other airlines. But the bottom line is bags and passengers were separated. Um, so if you're on a point to point, that can mean that, you know, you might get to the uh, to the to the to the first destination, but you've missed a connection to the second. That's different than a hub and spoke where they're guaranteeing to get you to that second destination. So right. there were a lot of problems exposed. But one of the key things that doesn't get talked about a lot is back in the day with the the, the uh, regulated system up until well, I want I will uh, get okay. to that. I okay. will get to that. You, you're right. jumping the gun. So you, and you and you I should have known done. better. I knew you would have gotten to it. <laughs> no, I'm going to get to that. And you also dodged my other question, which is. Is it the better part of wisdom right now oh, to so, avoid no. Southwest? Listen, you know me. When have I ever dodged an airline question? Come on. I just <laughs> forgot it. <laughs> Big difference. Uh, yeah. No, I, I would stay away from it for uh, at least a couple of weeks until they get back on their feet. But long term, they need to start making some investments in technology. Um, this is not, you know, this is not the week to be flying Southwest. First of all, they need to get all the people that were displaced to where they're going before they sell new tickets. Still. Because, you know, oh. because let's not forget, the passenger loads these days, they're the highest they've been since World War II when the airlines mm. are troop carriers. So, you know, there is just no flexibility in the system. When I was a dispatcher, when I worked in flight operations, if I had to cancel the 4.30 departure, well, what did we do? We put people on the 5.30, the 6.30, the 7.30, the loads, you know, there was, there was room. There's no room now. Right. We're at max uh, capacity all the time. I've talked to a lot of experts, you know, academics and wonky people that study transportation, not just aviation, but subways, buses, highways. You're not supposed to be at rush hour 24-7. That's not how transportation systems are designed. Because then when something goes wrong, well, it goes really wrong. And I mean, we just saw it last week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So you're you didn't dodge it. You're saying maybe avoid Southwest for the near future. Now let's get to you wrote an op-ed. 
you used the term federal preemption. Right. What does that mean and why is it so important? Sure. Uh, As we know, the airline industry was deregulated in 1978, not by President Reagan, but by President Carter. That's probably the thing that a lot of people get uh, get wrong about airline deregulation. But um, as part of that, when it was deregulated and and the free market decided what the fares would be instead of the uh, Civil Aeronautics Board, um, at the very last minute, Congress added a clause called federal preemption. It's a fancy legal term. It's very simple. It means that only Congress and the U.S. Department of Transportation has oversight over the airline industry in the United States. So what does that mean mm. to you and me? Well, <laughs> it really shocks people. I've been telling so, I've been talking to so many people in the last week about this, and, and so many of them are shocked. They had no idea. For the last 44 years, since 1978, you and I and everyone else, we have fewer rights with the airlines than we do with virtually any other industry. Think about it. You cannot sue an airline in state court where most lawsuits huh. are filed. You cannot right. file a class action lawsuit against the airlines in state courts with a few exceptions. There's a few lawsuits, but for the most part, you can't. That's why we're not seeing a huge number of class action suits with this industry. State attorneys general cannot take actions against airlines. They have publicly, Mm. some of them, uh, Phil Weiser in Colorado put out a press release a couple of years ago saying, I'd like to find Southwest, excuse me, Frontier for not paying refunds, but my hands are tied. I can't do anything. Um, State legislatures can't pass laws uh, with airlines. Uh, You may remember about 10 years ago, JetBlue had a meltdown, not on the size of scope of Southwest, but they had a Valentine's Day uh, meltdown rather than a Christmas meltdown. And the New York State Legislature, passed a passenger bill of rights about a year later. And I got a call from the New York Times and they said, what do you think about this? And I said, well, I have two thoughts. The first is it's great. I wish it was on a national level instead of just in New York state. And the second is it's a shame it's about to be struck down in about a month. Well, I was wrong. Huh. It was struck down in about a week uh, because the <laughs> argument is not the validity of the legislation or the case. It's just basically saying federal preemption. So federal preemption has long outgrown any usefulness that they thought it might've had in 1978. And at my at my organization, American Economic Liberties Project, we are saying it's time for federal preemption to go. We are speaking to members of Congress and to state AGs. I want to stress this, Pauline, because this, I think, is worth noting. We're speaking yeah. to members of both parties. And that is something that I don't know would have happened five or 10 years ago. But huh. there are an awful lot of angry Democratic uh, AGs and an awful lot of angry Republican AGs and members of Congress too. Look, I mean, this is this is not the industry that you and I knew once. This is an industry that has really gotten quite arrogant and quite dismissive of consumer concerns. They don't fear consumers because of the consolidation and, and the fact that they are so, you know, that, that there's been so much monopoly power now. The four largest control yeah, about 85% right. of the market. They don't fear consumers. They don't fear bad media coverage because they've gotten, you know, as much as you can handle this week. And worst Absolutely. of all, they don't fear the DOT. They really, the, the, the DOT systemically for many, many years, decades, in fact, has been a very weak enforcer. And so we're saying, okay, this is the textbook definition of insanity. We all keep knocking our heads. People like me, we have been talking to the airlines for decades saying, please, you know, clean up your act. We've been talking to the DOT. It hasn't worked. So now we're right. saying, here's a third way. At, at Economic Liberties, we're saying, get rid of federal preemption and let's let others step up and do what the DOT won't do. Because there are a lot of state AGs out there who'd be more than happy to find airlines that don't pay refunds. There are a lot yeah. of there are a lot of class action suits that should have been filed that couldn't have been. And there are a lot of states yeah. that will just say, okay, well, we'll step in and do what the DOT hasn't done. And the DOT has had ample opportunity. 
Now, there will be people who say, okay, if we open the floodgates and let anybody sue, uh, airfares are going to skyrocket, uh, different routes are going to be cut to places that are, you know, uh, sue happy. Uh, there, there's going to be pushback against this, I would think. Oh, there's, of course, there's going to be pushback. I mean, if you'd like, I could write up a press release written for the airlines and their lobbying organization because I know they're talking <laughs> points all too well. And you, right. you nailed the first one when you said fares because anytime you talk about anything, improving anything in this industry, even safety issues, they'll say, well, that's going to affect fares. Well, guess what? Fares go up anyway. Fares have gone yeah. up even without you know us being treated better. When we say, well, the seats are too tight and they're they're a threat to safe you know evacuations in an emergency, they say, well, right. if we take out more seats, that's going to cause fares to go up. Guess what? They they bring up fares anyway. So um, we're saying, look, the airlines talk a good game about you know being in the free market. Well, okay, that's part of being in the free market. Every other corporation and every other industry in the United States. I mean, even just within travel, hotels, restaurants, theme parks, if you have sure. a problem, you do what Americans do. You you take action. Here, you can't. So there's nothing fair about that. Overall, yeah. we, we think it's it's much more of a positive than any negatives. Well, it's going to be interesting. I was listening to NPR and uh, a reporter from Bloomberg was talking about reputational damage to Southwest. And he made the point that, oh, Americans forget after about a week. And I was shouting at the radio saying, even if Americans didn't forget in a week, what else can they do? Right. With monopolies, you can't fly anything but these bad actors. Right. You have no power as right. a consumer in this right. position. No, you're so, so right. And and look, I mean, you're singing our song at American Economic Liberties Project. I mean, we're all about monopoly power. That's why I'm so thrilled I'm, I'm there because, you know, I, I yeah. came on about six months ago and they speak my language, really. <laughs> So you guys are trying to get the law changed. Yes. What can individuals do? Let their representatives know Absolutely. that this is important to them? Absolutely. State AGs, we're gonna, you're going to be hearing more from us. I'd love to come back on with you soon when we're able to go public with some of the conversations we've had with members of Congress. And I'll tell you what, if I was sitting next to you when that NPR uh, piece aired, I would have been screaming too, because I do think, I, 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 you know, we've known each other a long time. I'm being honest when I say this, Pauline. I do think that there's been a sea change. I, I don't, I don't, you know, they're they're right in that in the past things would would blow over after a week or two. Right. I sure. think there's so much anger at this industry right now, and and so much anger in Washington, which I haven't seen before. I mean, I, during the break, uh, or during the holidays rather, it wasn't a break, unfortunately, but it was it was the holidays. <laughs> Not for you. Oh, no break. No. Um, but during, <laughs> Freudian slip. But during the holidays, I was shocked. I was on Twitter, and and it looked like every member of Congress from both parties had something to say about the airline industry. You know. Huh. And I have not seen that before. Usually it's, you know, it's the people that are most involved in it, the aviation subcommittees, that type of thing, the transportation committees. Um, you know, there are certain people that you know in Congress are always speaking out on airline issues. Some of them do a good job. But this was like everybody had something to say. People that I've never saw post about the airlines. I do think things have changed. I do think that 
you know, there's this general sense. I don't know if you get it, but I get it like in social settings, you're at a party or something and you start talking about airlines and people say, what's wrong with it? What went wrong? What's, what's, what, you know, they, they, they genuinely don't understand, you know, mm-hmm. what, what has gone, I mean, it is not the airline industry we once knew. And, but here's the thing, you know, we're all on the hook to bail it out every time there's a problem, right? So $54 billion during COVID, it wasn't up for discussion about if there would be a bailout, it was just how much. So yeah. You have this weird thing where basically, um, you know, any kind of losses in the industry are socialized and we pay for them, but any any kind of profits are privatized and they keep them, you know, so um, it's not working. It's just not working. Right. No, it's not. And all right, we will have you back then in a couple of weeks to hear these exciting new announcements. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for appearing on the travel show. Always a pleasure. I'd love to come back and uh, bring some more good news. I hope you can. So I promised you a happier segment, (laughs) one not about the problems with travel, but about the joys and delights. And I know of very few destinations more filled with joy, to me at least, than Ireland. To help me discuss that, I have Cahar O'Doherty. He is the arts and travel editor for the Irish Voice and irishcentral.com. Hey, Cahar, thank you so much for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. Hi, hello. I'm delighted to be here. I got to ask you, have you been back to Ireland, because I know you're based in New York, since the pandemic? And is Ireland still a song? How has it changed? What is happening on the ground in Ireland right now? I have been back actually several times uh, vaccinated and, you know, through the different iterations of how we used to return, which was with the PCR test. And then that mm. was removed. And now you can go, uh, you know, without without having to do the, the, the test before travel and so on. And uh, now the borders are open. Um, it's It's been a journey, uh, as is every other country in Europe. Ireland got smart about the lockdown and managed to minimize the impact of COVID. Hmm. But we are, but we are, you know, we didn't have, we didn't see the fatality rates that, that we did see in Europe, unfortunately. And, and vaccine take up in the country has been really high. Uh, ni- over wow. 90% of adults are vaccinated. But in saying that, we are such, as you say yourself, there's something magical about the country. It is true that yeah. we so community focused and we're all in each other's business and we feel implicated in each other's lives and in each other's happiness as well actually uh mental health is a part of this so you know i so i thought well how's it going to impact on a culture like ours that is so communal that's so about sharing yeah you know community focused and to my surprise and and delight i saw that that we find strategies to continue that even against the precautions that people take against being in larger spaces with a lot of people that's not as prevalent as it was before covid things have changed slightly but the irish have found okay, ways. Well, yeah go ahead have found ways to get together well i was going to ask you in england in the uk yeah. we are seeing a lot of pubs closing down it seems like that type of gathering place really took – I think they, they were starting to wane before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, but that, that habit of going out, of gathering with friends, seems to have really taken a blow there, especially in, in London. My London writer told me that, that a lot of the pubs he loves are closing. Is that the case in Ireland? Are you seeing that too? 
It has not been the case in Ireland. Uh, a pub in Ireland is more than just like a, a gathering place. It's like they're you know, unofficial community centres. So in a way, to lose those would be to lose like one of the hearts of a town. And they mm. just, you know, they, so there have been some closures, there for sure. I mean, in the restaurant industry, that's they've taken a hit. But the, the public, you know, the public houses... They find ways to navigate that. They've opened like outdoor patios. They've, you know, they've sure. they've, they've given Ireland this weirdly sort of French feel in places when you're walking down the street. <laughs> I've started to feel like, where am I? Like, what is this? You know, there's these outdoor, you know, like really nicely put together sort of patios that they've created for people to gather and congregate. And thankfully, the weather is not too bad around in Ireland year round. It's a, the climate because of the really. Uh, I, sp- I spent one of the coldest Augusts of my life in Ireland. I found myself buying wool sweaters because I was I, I I find Ireland to be cold usually because it's a wetter climate. So I think that that intensifies the cold. But maybe climate change has changed that. Well, you know, it has in a way. But I think you're right. Actually, there are times it, it largely depends. You get four seasons in one day in Ireland. So it can feel like, yes. you know what I mean? So it can feel like you're in, you know, the, life feels a little bit raw sometimes. The climate certainly can. But like I've been there in January um, or in December, like I stayed at a lighthouse in Donegal up in, up in the, the very far north of the country from December, from Christmas until the New Year's. And the temperature was always about 57 during the day. And it didn't rain very often. Mm. And quite temperate and that's because of the you know the the atlantic currents that keep the place from freezing over but it was right. definitely def- it depends i think you you pay your money and you get your choices with ireland you've been trips where i've taken in the middle of june where i thought good gracious like look at this it's it's winter time here it's so dark and cold so, so you, you know right. you know what you're going to get you really never know what you're going to get with with ireland but they have in fairness to them open these outdoor patios which people actually do go to and use and and we're a hardy lot we will sit out (laughs) you know (laughs) the hailstones bouncing off our heads we will do that so you know you know you have to but you also will gather it inside with a a roaring fire going too and and they have yeah you know they have actually tried to navigate that through vaccinations and through uh opening up the the air and so that's that's an issue too. You know, nobody's out of this particular. No one's really out of this out of the woods for this thing yet globally. Right. But I think right. that no, no. Yeah, but I think that we are still. Go ahead. Trying, we are still trying to find our way to be who we are, like to be the Irish, to be that kind of communal society that we were. We still are doing the you know elbow bumps instead of the handshakes, and the, the handshakes may not come back. That's a possibility. Mm. But I think that the Irish will. We don't have the muscle memory. None of us anywhere in the world have the muscle memory for this event. It's like it's it's once maybe 300, 400 year kind of plague that we've that we've lived through. And we should be, you know, we should realize just how scary that was and not not just whistle past that graveyard and say, look, you know, we, we need to acknowledge that it has been hard for everybody everywhere you go Absolutely. and how we're going to, you know, how yeah. we're going to navigate this new world that we're in now. So that's what I, right. that was what my fear was. My fear going to Ireland was, will it be unrecognizable to me? And I was delighted to see that it was not. Yes, no, absolutely. Well, we met originally at the uh, International Travel and Adventure Show, which took place in New York. And that just reminds me, I just have to make a program note for all the listeners. 
I'm actually going to be at the Chicago Travel and Adventure Show, which is in Rosemont on uh, July 14th and not July. I keep saying July because yesterday it was 64 degrees in New York City. So it felt like July, but on January 14th and 15th. So I hope you'll come out uh, and see me. Here's a, here's a tip. If you use the password Fromers VIP, you get in free. So you just got to get tickets in advance on the travel and adventure show website, which is travelshows.com. Anyway, when Kaher and I met at the Travel and Adventure Show in New York City, or the International Travel Show in New York City. You told me another thing that surprised me, not that that, uh, Ireland is warm, but that it has good food. I love Ireland. In my trips there, and uh, to be fair, I have not been there since the pandemic, uh, so it's been a couple of years. I've found that the only thing I don't like about Ireland, I love the landscape, I adore the people and the fact that they're so warm and welcoming and everybody's a great storyteller, but the food I've always thought left something to be desired. You told me I'm wrong. <laughs> what has changed? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one of the things that's changed is us. We, the Irish ourselves, have changed. We've gone out into the world We've been emigrating since the 19th century, like mass immigration, and and uh, and we're increasingly coming back. But like I live here in the district of Queens, New York, and uh, Queens is the most culturally diverse uh, piece of land, parcel of land, perhaps in the entire world. And what yeah. that touches me is the language, the cuisines of all of the different cultures that live here. Um, it's 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 an incredible education just going to the supermarket, and so I've learned you know through being here and also during the pandemic and afterwards uh, how to cook Chinese, how to cook Thai food, mm. cook Indian food, how to cook you know uh, Sichuan like regional cooking within like Chinese food, also like Gujarati food within Indian you know, and and to bring these flavors and insights back to Ireland. There's been tons of that. There's been like from huh. You know, from Malinhead in the north uh, to Mizzenhead in the south, uh, there has been an influx of returned emigrants who, and a lot of them are like Brooklyn hipster type people, who've returned and set up, opened their own coffee shops, opened their own restaurants, and who access that vocabulary and look at what's, you know, unique about what we do ourselves and accentuated that too. But it's been a long process. Uh, it started off in the 70s with Myrtle Allen and her famous Ballymaloo Cooking School down in Cork, which is still an operation and still brings in chefs from all over the world to learn about what is Irish cooking, what makes it its distinctive, and what about it right. should we celebrate. And so, you know, um, I'm not sure like uh, that it's a general thing all over the country yet, but I think that the cooking, depending on where you're staying, and again, uh, you know, um, the, the, the can be a, a really amazing experience. There are 18 Michelin starred restaurants in Ireland now. You could potentially take a tour and go to visit them all, and the experience would be really different because you So been, they're, not, they're not all in Dublin? They're not all in Dublin, no. They're in the north, in Belfast. Um, they're also in, country, in country, uh, country houses out in the country. 
uh, really grand country houses. So you'd be having like a very different experience in each of the venues. And, uh, and <clears throat> excuse me, and you'd be having an amazing time. Great food. All right. Creative cooking. So that's there. But I think that the thing so that- it's not it's not all gray meats and mushy peas and uh, yeah, I, God help us. No, that that <laughs> I would say that's an experience closer to the you know our neighbors to the east. Ah, I think that what we have in Ireland is like an, a focus on fresh ingredients, organically sourced, sustainable, and and minimal processing, like leap and fresh. It's it's saying Donegal, and that's the kind of thing that we focus on our beef is incredible our our you know our cheeses our butters are incredibly rich and delicious and they're sure. celebrated around the world so we take you know the basics of that and so so you can ask yourself like what is irish cooking what would be a distinctly irish meal and i would say the kind of thing i grew up on which would be like salmon freshly caught in the loch swilly that afternoon on your table mm. by 8 p.m. that evening. Like, we're surrounded by water, so, of course, you know, fishing is a big part of that. And, sure. And I have and, – and when I get homesick for Ireland, I will bake in this country uh, to, you know, because you have the sense memory of what it's like to have, like, an Irish soda bread or, or bran bread baking in the oven. And it's more than just, like, a thing that you're baking. It's like a gesture that you're making to your friends that says, this is love. This is a. Uh, this is the, mm. the work of my hands, and this is something that connects yeah. to my grandmother no. and to you know going well back. Absolutely, well, beautifully said. Whenever I discuss Ireland with somebody, because people come up to me all the time and you know and ask me travel questions, my big piece of advice for somebody going the first time is that Ireland looks like a small country, but it actually takes a while. <laughs> to get from place to place. In many parts of the country, it's all kind of winding back roads. It's not hi- highways like like it is here in the United States where you can zip 40, 50 miles and, you know, in an hour or so. It takes time to get places. And so I always tell people, you need to slow down when you go to Ireland. And for me, to me, the heart of the country is rural Ireland. I, I like Dublin. It's a great city, but it reminds me of a lot of other European cities. Whereas when you're in, say, the Dingle Peninsula, you're you couldn't be anywhere else but in Ireland. There's something to me that's just iconically Irish about that. Do you agree? And what are your tips for people when they go to Ireland for the first time? You know, Pauline, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. That is the key to the whole place. Get out of the city. And in fact, if you're having, you know, miserable experience with the food, get out of the hotels. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go, go and go to the local restaurants. You know, ask for a steer from the locals. Say, where should I eat? And they'll tell you. And they'll be happy to. And your experience will vary then. But you're right about the roads, like the, the, the you know, the country roads. The Irish word for road is moher, which translates roughly into cow road. So literally, they built... Huh. Those windy roads uh, that you're talking and referencing about uh, there from cow tracks. That was wow. the road. That was the road the cow took. Um, like that, you know, that circuitous route around places was 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 how people got around places too. And the roads originally 
they they uh, arose from that. So that's why you have that. But when you get out into the country, and I would say go to Donegal as well, because you're right about the difference. What happens is you step into ancient time. It becomes Homeric mm. in a way. Like, you know, you're you're somewhere else. And you should allow yourself to be somewhere else. You should reset your, you know, recalibrate your watch because you're stepping into something that's been around like unimaginable, you know, to a country that's unimaginably ancient. The rocks under your feet are some of the oldest in Europe and you're going to feel it and you're going to know it. And, and the, and you allow the landscape to work its magic on you and it'll restore you to yourself. I think if you're attentive, it'll bring you back to yourself. It'll put you in your place as well in one sense, because you know, you're going to be small in a giant landscape. If you're down in Kerry or up in Donegal, you're going to feel, oh, gee, I'm not the center of the universe. <laughs> I'm actually this small thing in this epic huh. place. And that's actually oddly restorative and centering. It can be, you know, if you're attentive to it. So you're right. The experience of Ireland, you know, the, the key to, the, uh, of, to Ireland is to experience that landscape and to get out into the country and to meet the people and to be attentive to stepping into that ancient time and and once you do the experience becomes unimaginably richer Hmm, very well said well it's been such a delight speaking with you is there anything else you wanted to tell our readers about ireland before we say ta i do I'm, i'm surprised actually how many irish people persisted even in the severest lockdown i would hear people saying i was just over and I would be really. You went to Ireland, and they said, "They said yes." I I spent two weeks in lockdown, under quarantine before I was allowed into the country. But sure, these are the things you have to do, and uh. I just loved that. I loved how determined they were to be among their people in you know the place where they grew up, and and that literally nothing would stop them. I mean, they made the concessions to stay safe, but they would do it, and right. that. That was amazing to me. That's just, you know, the, 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 the strength of the bond is so, so immense that people, even in extremis, were, were still prepared to, you know, do whatever it took to walk the land and be connected to their home place. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, well, knock wood, we're not going backwards, uh, hopefully, and we're going to be able to continue traveling freely and going to wonderful places like Ireland. Thank you so much, Kaher, for appearing on the Firmer Travel Show. Thank you, Pauline. And thank you all for listening. We will be back next week. As I said earlier, I'll be in Chicago. So if you'd like to come out and meet me, I'd love to see you. I hang out at the bookstore all day long, signing books and answering questions, and just chatting with people. It becomes, I guess, my version of a Irish pub (laughs) without the alcohol, of course. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll be at the New York Travel and Adventure Show. That's January 29th and 30th, if I'm I'm remembering correctly. Uh, So hope to see you there. And may I say to all who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Watching